welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. How are your ears? <laughs> I don't know why I was looking around. I was expecting an answer. Fine, thanks. My mum's got ears. Well, my mum has ears. Obviously, my mum has ears. We keep telling my mum to go and get her ears checked. She's like, my ears are fine. My ears are fine. I wonder if that's how you feel. Do you feel your ears are fine? Or you think, I wonder how my ears are. I'm somebody who uses their ears a lot. I'm somebody who uses my voice a lot. Those of you who don't know me, uh, professionally, I describe myself as a talker. That's what I do, pretty much, all the time. But actually, if you dig into that a little bit, um, professional talking actually requires a lot of professional listening. So I spend a lot of my week with headphones on, um, not just to kind of drown out uh, it sounds right about me, although sometimes to do that. Uh, but I, I listen to my own voice and I note where I'm breathing in the wrong places. And I listen to the voices of other people when I'm recording stuff. And I, I listen to other places where I can edit, where I can slim down and make better what we're saying. I listen to the voices of people to work out how I can help them become professional talkers or better professional talkers. I listen to intonation, I listen to tone, to speed, to intention, to choice of words. And don't get me started, well, no, don't get me started, but if you're interested, get me started on how I respond when I'm listening to people speaking in a public environment or if I'm listening to people read in a public environment or if I'm listening to people read the word of God in a, profession, in a public environment. You probably don't want to get me started on all of this. It just means that I use my ears a lot and I've had to train my ears over the years to really listen um, to what people are saying and to what I'm saying and to how I'm saying it. I realise, actually, having said all of that, you'll probably you'll never want to speak to me again. <laughs> that wasn't my intention. <laughs> I realise that this, this afternoon, you might, you might you know, you think, oh, I never want to read in front of her again. It's okay, I can switch it off. Well, I can't switch it off, but I can choose not to comment. So, you know, that's fine. Uh, listening's hard work, though. Listening demands effort. Listening demands attention. Sometimes listening demands us having to kind of stop what we want to say in order to hear, choosing not to comment. And, and I think in today's world, with so much noise, we need to really sharpen our listening. We need to really sharpen our ears, be attentive, be intentional about listening, listening for the voice of God, because listening for the voice of God demands effort. And, and if I can reflect just on what we've just done, I, I think there is something about that, that the silence that Sam, you hate, hold so well there and the quiet of what you hold there you can feel in the room, we all want to listen, to hear the word of God. We want to hear the voice of God because the, the world is full of clamor and pain. 
We're going to read two passages of scripture. Um, The first is a psalm, it's a Hallel psalm, which means that it's a psalm that was sung by God's people during times of celebration and uh, festival periods. It's a reminder, those psalms were sung as a reminder of who God is, of what God had done. And the second is a passage from John's gospel and it's where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and you can kind of attune your ears to think, why did you pick these two things to go alongside each other? What can I hear within those? So the first is Psalm 118. And it begins with a refrain that you hear throughout the psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fail, but the Lord helped me. To fall, not to fail. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And the beginning of John chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. 
Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. A hard concept forever. Hard concept to to get your head around. Um, Silly example of that. uh, My washing machine broke this week. Thanks. I was looking for a bit more sympathy on that. My washing machine broke. It had has a the 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 rubber seal on the drum had a little nick in it. So every time I put a washing on, basically there would be a fountain would appear on my kitchen floor. Wasn't great for anyone. Um, and uh, my washing machine was bought in 2020. I remember that because I had to replace my last washing machine during the lockdown. It wasn't ideal either, really, was it? 2020, and I had to go and dig out the warranty or the, the receipt to discover that the warranty only lasted for, for two years. So actually, my washing machine that I think of as my new washing machine, my really new washing machine, the guarantee's already run out, and I've already had to replace a part in my three, almost three-year-old washing machine. And it made me reflect on the fact that um, we, oh, and by the way, I do stand here in clean clothes because a guy came out and fixed it. And I'm, and I'm appreciative. I'm very appreciative of where I live and that, and that I don't take that for granted, actually. But it is a small example, isn't it, of how limited our expectations are these days. So from, you know, it used to be that washing machine, I don't know, I mean, I'm 51, but when I was a child, I think a washing machine would last for years, maybe 20 I'm making that up, obviously. I don't have statistics on that. But certainly it would last a bit longer than two and a half, right? But we've kind of, there's been a creep on that. So so our expectations are actually really low. And it's symptomatic, I think, of a creeping insecurity that we have in our lives where we find it hard to trust in the idea of a God who says that his love endures forever. Because we live in a world where washing machines don't last forever forever. But also relationships, prime ministers, certainties. There's not an awful lot that lasts for a long time in the world that we live in. And when we lose trust in that idea, what often I think begins to happen is we begin to listen to some of the voices that are around and and not listen to the voice of God. We begin to listen to the voices that are out there, but maybe also the voices that are internal voices. Maybe the voice of our own competency says, "I'll I'll just grit my teeth and get on with it and sort it. Or maybe the the voices of our own doubts and our own reason that say, you can't trust in something forever. You can't trust in a God who says his love endures forever. (sighs) You sure? We live in these insecure times and they're uncertain times. And already, as as we know, this afternoon, we've we've lifted up this, this situation, this appalling situation that's happening in our world currently. We've lamented. That's a right thing for us to do. But if I might say, I think every week we could come and gather and sit in the place of lament for the world that we live in, whether that's around war or famine, the refugee crisis, political short-termism, culture wars, mental health crisis, loneliness, relationship breakdown. We could come week by week by week and sit in that place of lament because the world we know is broken. It's uncertain, it's short-term, it's broken. We live in these insecure times. And we see and we experience that all around us. And we find it hard to grasp and understand what it means 
to say with the psalmist, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And I think the invitation we have this afternoon as church is is to dwell, really dwell in this psalm and to to really listen, to sharpen our ears attentively and and, um, with a sense of, of, of expectation for the voice of God that cuts through the voices of the suffering, broken world that we live in and, the, and the, the, the doubts that creep in and the insecurities that creep in for us as God's people around that. I think we need to grapple with, with, with a psalm like this in order to, to work out what it means to live in that tension of lament and joy that's actually the present reality. So we're going to consider Psalm 118 and then we're going to jump on to John 10 at the, towards the end um, and to try and hear God's voice in that cacophony. So let's just look at verses five to seven with me. It says, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. And you can imagine the people of Israel, they're preparing for a celebration. And so they're, they're bringing out these psalms that they would repeat and sing together. They're anticipating being with God, reminding themselves of who God is with the words that, that we've just read there just now. And I think there's something for us that we can choose to do that too, to remind ourselves of where God has been in the past, where he has worked in our lives. And I think when we remind ourselves of where God has been with us, it's a corrective, isn't it? when we fear that God will not be with us or that God is somehow absent from our present reality. God's people name the realities of the situation we live in, but we trust God for the spacious place that he is leading us into. God's love is what brings us into a spacious place. And the psalmist names, he names pressure, fear, conflict. These are the reality of the times that at any point we live in. But the provision of God for us is for a spacious place, a place where he is our helper, where he's victorious, where we can breathe and rest in him. God's love is what brings us to that place. God's love is what brings us to the spacious reality of being able to say, I'm not afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. I am confident because I know, God, you have worked in my life. And I know you will continue to work in my life. I know that I can trust you, Lord, because your love endures forever. What can mere mortals do to me? What can any enemy I face do to me? Because I cannot be defeated because the power of God is at work in me. And there's a moment for us, isn't there? When we, when we, we use the phrase spacious, it's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Spacious place, beautiful. Um, when, we, when we begin to use that phrase, there's a moment for us, I think, as a church to say, well, we, are, we are in a moment of transition, God willing. <laughs> We're in a moment when we will be traveling back along Bath Street uh, to the building, a building which I'm sure some of you have actually not actually ever been in. There is this mystical place, a mere few yards up the road, yards, meters up the road, uh, that, that, you know, one day, like Brigadoon, <laughs> we're going to get back to. There is this, this building that we've been, you know, praying into, really seeking God's provision for the work that we believe he's calling us to do. And, and there is, a, the, the, as, as I say, God willing, in the next month, we will be able to be back in that space Again, so there's a particular resonance, isn't there, uh, for us, I think, at the moment. In a world also that's chaotic and volatile, I think people long for a spaciousness of place. I think if it's got nice tiles and, you know, lovely windows, that's great. 
But actually, it's not about the nice tiles and the lovely windows. It's about where God is in that and who we are as we uh, welcome, as we are creative, as we connect within that building, as we worship. So we have an opportunity as church to step literally into a spacious place to welcome those who are hard-pressed and afraid into that place with us. It's important when you're reading the Psalms uh, to to notice repetition. Repetition is really important. Oh, just did it, look at that. Repetition is important because the reason a psalmist repeats something is to make us, to draw our attention to it or to, to emphasize it for us. And you see that in verses two to four in the widening out of that command about God's love. Let Israel see, let Aaron see, let those who fear the Lord see. So he repeats three times this idea. And I think we could phrase that as let God's people experience God's love. Let leaders experience God's love. Let any who seek God experience God's love. You see what's happening? There's a widening out that happens in that repetition that the psalmist uses. It's a reminder that the mission of God is an ever-expansive mission. It's an ever-expansive mission that begins with Adam and Eve in the garden and it it expands out to the people of God in the Old Testament. It it widens as we see the New Testament church and as Jesus says to the ends of the earth um, that God's love is there for those who seek it. So it's a reminder that the love of God for us is not to be kept in a lovely building space, which is to say that if, you know, somebody makes a mark on the flooring, it's okay. (laughs) If they feel a sense of love in the building... Don't mark, don't mark the floor. If you can help it, but you know. But it's a reminder, isn't it, that the mission of God is about expanding. The mission of God is about opening up to where God um, is calling people to come into. It's not to be kept in the building. And it's not actually even to be contained within a community of believers, but it's to be expanded beyond that, reaching out. Because God's love is always moving out into the world. And it's for anyone who would seek it. So the spacious place is not about a building, whether that's the temple in Jerusalem or whether it's a building up the road in Bath Street. It's about a place where that forever love of God is found. And we have an opportunity to demonstrate that in the next months as we move back into that space. We have an opportunity there to use our building as a place for people around us to experience the love of God and the security and the confidence of dwelling and living with him. And we will be able to do that, God willing, soon. But we can also do that in our flats, in our halls of residence, in our workplaces, in our um, homes that we live in, outside the school gate, wherever it is that we find ourselves, we can demonstrate something of the love of God to a world that is, that is, is desperately seeking to hear a voice. So God's love is expansive, it's spacious, it's for us and it's for those around us. And there's a reminder maybe for us today, a fresh call to experience and share the love of God in our building, and in every other part of our lives where we find ourselves. So we read on in verse eight, and it's as though, I think it's as though the psalmist, he kind of wants to double down on what he's already told us about the love of God and what he's already learned himself about God's love, that God's forever enduring love brings us into a space where we can rest in him, we can breathe deeply, but it also offers us a refuge when we're surrounded by enemies. So verses eight to nine, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. See what's happening? There's repetition. 
So he's wanted to draw our attention to that. It's better to trust God than it is to trust humans, he says. It's better to trust the Lord than to trust princes. And I think in uncertainty and fear, if you're anything like me, that's a real challenge. Because I can very quickly turn to all sorts of things and all sorts of people, actually, before I turn to God. When I'm surrounded by enemies, when I'm facing fear, when I'm sitting in a place of uncertainty. I wonder where, for us today, our turning place is. Is it to turn to the news? Because I think if I keep myself informed, somehow that's going to help me deal with what I'm experiencing? Is it to distraction? I can't watch the news, so I'm going to distract myself into some, you know, mine of Netflix, whatever it is. Is it to some sort of self-soothing comfort that that brings distraction and brings a a kind of temporary relief? I wonder. And I I wonder, I've wondered this for some time actually, if God in these days is using these times of volatility and uncertainty to waken us up to waken us up to the truth that he is our first, the one we turn to first, because he is the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Is there an opportunity in these days for God's love really to be demonstrated if we take seriously that we'll turn to him, first of all, because he is our refuge. And that that could very easily be heard as a rebuke. So it could be heard as, well, Fiona stood up at the front and she said, I need to get better at turning to God. I need to read my Bible more. I need to get better at my quiet time. I need to try harder. That is not what I'm saying this afternoon. I mean, if you want to read your Bible more, that's a good thing. (laughs) I would encourage that. But that's not, I am not saying this to be a heavy burden on you. What I'm saying is there's a voice that reminds us as God's people that when we recognize just how desperate life is for those around us and perhaps for some of us, we have one in whom we can take refuge, who waits for us to turn to him. And reality can bring us to that point, I think. And it brings us to that point. And it's like Peter, Peter in John chapter six, when he says to Jesus, to whom else shall we go, Lord? It's kind of like, I'm all in, Lord. You've ruined me. I don't know what else I'm gonna do. I don't have an alternative because you are my refuge. To whom else shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life, says Peter. Where else shall we turn? And maybe that's what God is reminding us of too this afternoon. Where else shall we turn in these days? I am a refuge for you. I'm a spacious place. Because we're learning, I think we're learning, if we haven't already noticed it, that the worldly powers, the princes and the nations that it talks about in the text, they will ultimately let us down. They might offer us solutions. They might try hard. But they will ultimately let us down. Which doesn't mean you shouldn't engage. Doesn't mean we shouldn't engage with media. Doesn't mean we shouldn't engage with politics. These things are really important. And it's really important that God's people are, are engaged and involved in these but they won't be a refuge for us. An influencer will not be a refuge for you. A politician is not gonna be your refuge. A good idea is not gonna be your refuge. Only God is the one who's secure and trustworthy, the trustworthy refuge that you and I need to see us through these days that are difficult. He's our ever-present help in times of trouble. His love endures forever. To whom else shall we go? So the psalmist in these middle verses, he seems to be kind of wrestling with how to do that, doesn't he? And the phrase we keep hearing repeated is is in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. There's a sense that as he's facing his enemies, he's almost using that as a kind of, I'm gonna just keep repeating that mantra, in the name of the Lord, the Lord has the victory here. And maybe maybe that's a helpful thing for us. What what are the the situations that we find ourselves in? Voices of doubt that come in and say, can you really believe in a God of love? 
when they're saying 33,000 people have died in an earthquake, and that's probably not the final figure. Can you really? So maybe in, in, those, in those voices of doubt, is it in those moments of our anxieties that come upon us and, and threaten to overwhelm us? Is it in the temptations that we come back to again and again and we wrestle with? Do we need to, to, to hold that in the name of the Lord? God has the victory in my life and his love endures forever. So he wrestles with that. And then in verse 14, there's a transition. That was a sort of transition step, thanks. <laughs> I was just breaking the mood a little bit. There's a transition, there's something, I don't know if you noticed that. So there's a confident statement, the Lord is my strength and my defense. So it's like, right, I've got through the kind of, in the name of the Lord stuff, I've, I've kept saying it, and the Lord is my, con- is my strength and my defense. And then he moves to a fresh revelation. So the transition happens where he moves to saying, and he's become my salvation. So the Lord is my strength, he's my defense, he's become my salvation. Something is happening in that switch. God is also, as well as a spacious place, as well as a refuge in times of distress, he in his love is our salvation. And that brings me back to hearing and to that passage that we read from John's Gospel. Because I think buried deep within this psalm in this, is this image of the gate. So in verse 20, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. And that, that image is just folded in, isn't it, to the psalm as a prophetic verse that speaks of a gate that we will be able to enter into, the entrance to the refuge, the place, the way to the place that is spacious, the doorway to the everlasting, enduring love of God. God's love provides the way of salvation. And for the original singers of the psalm, they would have pictured going through the gates. There would be a sense of of going through the gates towards the temple to, to knowing that only the righteous would be accepted into that place. There would be a resonance for them. But for us, as we come to the Old Testament and we read it in the light of the New Testament, in the light of Jesus' death and resurrection, we know that the gate that leads to refuge doesn't depend on our own righteousness. And that's a relief if, like me, you recognize your own righteousness isn't ever going to cut it. It's never going to be good enough. The verse 20 in the psalm prophetically looks to the one who's going to be the gate. And so then when we came to uh, John chapter 10, we read in uh, verse 7, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And we just need to take a wee step back and have a think about biblical shepherds and gates for a minute. Clearly I'm not a rural person. I'm not a farmer, not a shepherd, but I have some knowledge. Allow me to share it with you. When we hear about gates, we tend to think of... uh, Five bar gates, don't we? You know, there's kind of four bars and there's one across like that and you, know, you open and shut the gate. But in, in, in biblical shepherding, in New Testament shepherding, what would have happened would be that the shepherd would be out with his flock of sheep and he would bring them into the fold, which is a sort of walled in area. But of course, you need, the sheep need to get into the fold. They can't, well, they maybe could jump over, I don't know, but they have to be quite clever. Maybe the less clever ones would have to go through a, a gap in the wall. And what would happen is once the flock of sheep was, was in that refuge, in that spacious place for them, what would happen would be that the shepherd would then lie down and sleep in the gap. And if a bear came along or a lion came along or a thief came along, that the shepherd would be ready to defend the sheep and to protect the sheep. So when he says, I'm the gate, he's not meaning, 
He's meaning, I'm the one who lies down in the gap. I'm the one who fights off the bears and the lions. I'm the one who will protect my sheep in this place of refuge. And I'm the one that you enter in. Gets all, the metaphor gets quite complex there, doesn't it? And the one you enter in, to come into that place, you need, you need to come through me, he says. And not only that, but I'm also the shepherd. <laughs> I'm the shepherd, I'm the gate, I'm the one you go through, I'm the one who protects you. So you can see how that verse 20 in Psalm 118, it, 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 when you begin to unpack what that is about, it's huge, isn't it? Because Jesus is the way to find peace and refuge. And a relationship with Jesus is the key to experiencing and living in that everlasting love of the Father. Jesus' voice is the voice we need to train our ears to hear, be attentive to, be intentional about pursuing. Because his voice is the one that cuts through the noise and the clamor. And that's why the psalm ends in a place of rejoicing. It's not a superficial happiness that says, oh, well, life's a bit rubbish out there, but let's all sing a happy song. The psalm ends in a place of of that deep joy that comes from having journeyed through the battle of the psalm, that comes through having pursued that spacious place and pursued that refuge to have reminded themselves of all that God has done in order to have an assurance that God will continue to be with them. And that brings them that place of a, a joy that chooses to say, today, Today we will rejoice because we know the everlasting, ever-expansive, ever-protective love of God. So joy and lament, they're not a binary choice. They they sit together. They're both faith-filled acts of choosing to listen for the voice of God amidst the noise. And they both lead us to that place of clinging to the truth of the refrain that says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So as we come to a close, I just would take you to the place where I started and ask the question, how good are your ears? How's your hearing? Are you creating space in the busyness, in the distraction, in the anxiety to allow your ears to hear the voice of the shepherd who's also the gate? Have you allowed the voices around you or the voices of your own inner critic to drown out that voice that simply says, I'm good, my love endured forever? Because he brings us to a spacious place. He is our refuge and he is also our salvation. And his love is everlasting, never ending, secure, certain and available for any who would say today, for the first time, for the 101st time, would you become my salvation? Would you become my salvation today? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen.